I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the real crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. In the age of free love and LSD... Charles Manson creates one of the world's most infamous cults. He was very good at sizing people up and then taking advantage of their weaknesses. To 14-year-old Diane Lake, Manson seems welcoming and seductive. I just felt instantly like I belonged. But when Manson has a dark vision of a coming apocalypse, he orchestrates some of the most brutal murders in modern history. The people there that night were there in the wrong place at the wrong time and it was evil when diane learns the truth about her so-called family she has nowhere to run i was scared to death what's to stop him from killing me charles manson is one of the world's most fascinating and terrifying killers in the late 1960s He amasses a group of followers so devoted to him that they are willing to kill. The bloody murders carried out by the so-called Manson family shocked the world in their viciousness and brutality. Manson family member Diane Lake is only 16 years old when the family murders eight people in a two-day killing frenzy. Just two years earlier, Diane has an altogether different life. It's 1967, a year of be-ins, festivals, acid trips, and revolution. 14-year-old Diane Lake moves to California with her family. They decided that they were going to drop out. And so they bought bread trucks and started converting them into campers. The hippie lifestyle just kind of evolved We had communal dinners on a regular basis, smoked pot. My dad introduced me to marijuana and then LSD later on. I took my first LSD trip with my two best friends in my living room. But the commune lifestyle means that Diane has had to grow up fast. Deborah Herman, co-author, member of the family. So now she's in this lifestyle with them. She's not a little child like her brother and sister. She's in that in-between stage. She can't really fit in with the little children, so she has to fit in with the adults. And that's what she does. While on LSD, 14-year-old Diane decides that it's time to leave the nest. Her hippie parents don't object. And they wrote me a note and basically were giving me permission to be an emancipated minor. In retrospect, she was 14. At the time, I'm sure she felt like she was an adult and she could handle it, but she couldn't. Dr. Stephen Diamond, forensic psychologist. Someone who's 14 years old or 15 years old, they really don't have a strong sense of themselves at that point. They tend to be much more impressionable and therefore susceptible to manipulation and susceptible to the exercise of control by other people. I definitely had a void in my life. I needed to belong to something. Diane hitchhikes down the Pacific Coast Highway towards Los Angeles. 
She's at a party in Topanga when she meets some new friends. I was going along with some other people to a party that was at the Spiral Staircase house. I walked up the stairs and immediately was embraced and made to feel totally accepted and loved. It was really special. They invited me to come join the circle. Then Charlie came over. Diane's new friend is 32-year-old Charles Manson. He had kind of long, wavy brown hair, uh, mustache, and just a twinkle in his eye. He had great eyes, and he just exuded love. He really adored his girls, and that was very reassuring to me. From the first moment she meets Manson and the group, Diane Lake is intrigued. I was immediately embraced and welcomed. He played the guitar, and the girls were like singing along, and I just, I just felt instantly like I belonged. But Manson's radiance and good looks mask a devious personality. Manson spent most of his life in and out of jail, mostly for petty things. But he also had been in for sex trafficking and transporting women across state lines. Manson emerges from prison to find that the peace and love hippie movement presents him with an opportunity. People were proclaiming themselves as these street corner gurus. So he took a look at that and being the very intelligent, malleable chameleon that he was, he said, boy, this is a pretty good gig. He saw what was happening. Ah, he grew his hair long. He was playing guitar. He saw what the whole spirit of this uh, peace and love movement, the Haight-Ashbury movement, and he took advantage of it. Girls were attracted to him. They would flock to him. That's his new identity. He became a street corner musician guru and started to collect followers. In the seven months since his release, Manson has drawn in six women, the nucleus of the now infamous Manson family. Manson knew how to manipulate women in particular, partly from his experience as a pimp. He carefully selected the women. He made them feel so special, so loved, that they would become dedicated and loyal. Young and impressionable, Diane succumbs to Manson's charms. Something that Charlie talked about a lot was getting rid of your inhibitions, forgetting your mom and dad, being your own person. I think that that was a core message that he gave out through his songs and through his talk-tos and all of that. He could look at a person and immediately, almost, almost as if by magic, know what their vulnerabilities and their, their pain points were. He used that. He proceeded to seduce me, but in a very, you know, loving and a, in a very different way than I had ever been uh, loved before. He took time to do this hand motion and just very sweet, very gentle and very loving, very patient. He made me feel very much like a woman, not just a young girl who didn't, you know, know anything. 14-year-old <laughs> Diane Lake is hooked. Soon after that first night, Manson invites Diane to join his family. 
I kind of went back and forth for probably just a couple of weeks. This one person told me, I don't know if you should go with this guy. You know, he just had a bad vibe, but I didn't see that. And then uh, they were getting ready to leave and I didn't want to be left behind. Diane joins her new family as they travel the open road. Charlie had this idea that you could postulate. That's what he called it, postulating. You know, you could send out into the universe the things that you needed or wanted and that they would come to us. And, you know, how much manipulation he was doing to provide that, I don't know. His ability to make things happen was pretty astounding, really. And it made me think about connecting with something bigger than ourselves whether it was cars or gas or food or clothes things came our way and we were able to pretty much survive on a pretty limited very limited budget diane's life in her new family seems blissful until she comes face to face with manson's dark side while they were traveling they stopped at one of Manson's acquaintances and they just stayed there to crash overnight. Diane was very new and was in the honeymoon phase. Evidently, Manson had a toothache. Is there any ice? Yeah. I didn't really realize he had a toothache, but I I asked him something. Like, can I help you? He looked like he was in distress. Do you want anything to eat? And he just hauled off and smacked me. And I was shocked. One of the other girls explains to Diane what she's done wrong. Patty was really very much like a big sister. And she was very, very kind and very nurturing. Patty tried to console me that I needed to not talk out of turn and that was Charlie's way of disciplining me it's Diane's first exposure to Charles Manson's violence I was just devastated and I went and crawled into a bed and cried I just was really hurt that was the first time that felt like I was disapproved you know that Charlie did not approve of me but it was like totally out of the blue so I was very hurt the next day, Manson explains that Diane must learn to be quiet and obedient. Manson was raised by very religious grandparents, aunties. He knew scripture. He would emphasize man is the head of the household. Woman is submissive. Woman is to do the bidding of the man woman is to please the man. That was her role. Charlie was kind of reverting back to old school ideas about the role of a man and the role of a woman. I wanted to belong though. So I, I took his advice as much as I could. As Manson's power over Diane grows, he assigns her a new disturbing role in the family. It was understood for all of Manson's male associates that he came along with his entourage and what he offered to them was his women. 
when Manson takes his family to the home of a male associate named Harold True. He offers up young Diane as payment. You're sleeping with Harold tonight. Charlie told me that, you know, make Harold happy. No. Harold, you know, he's not somebody that I really wanted to have sex with, even if Charlie wanted me to. But Charles Manson is not about to take no for an answer. If you like what you're hearing, check out the Real Crime TV series on Reels Channel. You'll find chilling true stories of capital offenders brought to justice, like Chris Watts, the Colorado killer dad, Jeffrey Epstein, the sex trafficker who died in jail with his secrets, and a new report on the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Then, check out Reels' medical mystery series, Autopsy. Autopsy reveals what really killed screen and music legends like Amy Winehouse, River Phoenix, Elvis Presley, and Robin Williams. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. Thirty-two-year-old Charles Manson has seduced fourteen-year-old Diane Lake and drawn her into his cult. Diane is devoted, but when Manson demands that Diane have sex with one of his associates. She refuses. No. Harold, you know, wanted to have sex with me, but he was not attractive to me at all and not somebody that I really wanted to have sex with, even if Charlie wanted me to. When Diane refuses, Manson goes into a rage. I cried and I was really unhappy about that. But Manson quickly changes his tactic. Charlie impressed upon me that we owed Harold something. And, you know, that I needed to get rid of my inhibitions, you know, pulled that card. And so, um, you know, I, I submitted. Being used by Charlie to curry favor with other men really did not make me feel good but I wanted to please Charlie so I just you know grinned and bared it you know it was hard it was hard but because I loved Charlie I was willing to do it he was very very good at sizing people up and seeing their weaknesses and then taking advantage of their weaknesses. In 1968, Manson takes his followers to live on the sprawling derelict Spawn Ranch, just outside Los Angeles. He strengthens his hold over the group through the messages in his music. Charlie's music was the center point of our being. Charlie played the guitar and sang the songs that he had written. And that was really the center point of his message and our relationship to him. It was all centered around his music and songs. But soon, Manson's music gives way to preaching. He becomes obsessed with a dark new idea which he calls Helter Skelter. Charlie's Helter Skelter was this apocalypse, this black-white 
race war. He'd been hearing this since he was a little kid in reform school, that the blacks were going to overcome. They were going to rise up and overtake the white people and kill them, I guess. And, but just, you know, wreak havoc. It was going to be like an apocalypse. It'll come from the ghettos. Helter Skelter actually came from the Beatles, the White Album. And it was a, a very kind of chaotic song, which was actually, I believe, about going up and down a slide in a, in a children's park. To Manson, the Beatles were talking to him personally. When the Beatles released the White Album, Manson takes it as a sign that his feared apocalypse is imminent. Charlie had been hearing about this for a long time, and so then when the White Album came out, he really felt like the Beatles were talking to him and that this was, this was it. When Manson was describing what was going to happen, he would tell his followers that the blacks were going to rise up, they were going to come out of the ghetto, they were going to go into the rich white neighborhoods, and they would revolt, essentially. They would kill people. And this is what he believed was going to happen. I mean, it just seemed too prophetic, or just the forces were coming together. And this is what Charlie had been talking about. So the White Album was kind of a confirmation. Jesus Christ. I feel crazy even saying it, <laughs> but that's what we kind of believed. For Diane, everything changes. The whole energy had changed. The whole energy of everybody in the house. I think that that was really probably the apex of his delusion. Diane soon learns that Charles Manson, who preached love and togetherness, is gone. I really wanted to reach out to Charlie. I don't think that we had had sex for a while, and I really, I needed and wanted that to happen. And so I took him by the hand, whatever. I, I, I let him know that I wanted to have sex with him. What? Manson takes Diane, leads her through the woods to a trailer, and brutally rapes her. He proceeded to sodomize me, which is not what I had in mind for a sexual experience with Charlie. I mean, I, I, I wanted to have sex with him like the old days, you know, like back in the day when I felt like he really loved me. I really didn't think of myself as a victim. I just thought that I asked for it. Alone and traumatized, Diane blames herself for Manson's brutal act. You know, I was just trying at that point to survive. Yeah, I was very, a very confused young woman. Despite the violence, Manson is able to maintain his power over Diane. I think Charlie had this big power over me and the other girls because he did make us feel like, you know, in the beginning anyway, that we were his favorite, his best loved, and it... I think we were all looking to re-experience that, and we just tolerated the 
things that were happening that we didn't like so much. We were just stupid and naive, and he had isolated us. He'd isolated us from our families, from our friends, and so he became our everything without uh, really realizing it. Charles Manson has achieved complete control over his followers. And he's about to use that control for one of the most gruesome acts of violence in modern history. In 1968, cult leader Charles Manson tells Diane Lake and the rest of his devoted followers that Armageddon is coming. A race war he calls Helter Skelter. At that time, Manson had been listening to the White Album. He was becoming increasingly delusional and paranoid and really believed that he was the second coming. He would say, I am man's son. He was pretty convincing, and his followers were believing it. Manson obsesses over the Beatles' White Album. Convinced the musicians are sending him prophetic messages through their songs. Charlie listened to the record backwards. He had us sit there and listen to these songs over and over again. And he was, you know, totally convinced that the Beatles were the four prophets that were telling him what was coming down. It's coming for all of us. When Manson perceives a lack of devotion from Diane, he flies into a rage. Charlie wanted me to sit and listen to the White Album, but I really had to pee. And so... I waited for what I thought was the right moment, got up to go, and, and Charlie just was furious and threw a chair, hit me with the chair leg, and then says, if you need to pee, just pee here. You are going to stay here and listen to the White Album. Manson's delusions come across as wisdom to his followers. It kind of made sense, made sense to me when he would talk about being man's son because the way he talked about it, I mean, it was just another piece of, like, the puzzle. And it all seemed to fit, but that was, I think that was Charlie's forte in manipulating information (laughs) to his advantage. To prepare for the coming war, Manson trains his followers to tolerate pain. He kind of did that irregularly, you know, holding our hand over a candle flame and talking us into not recognizing the pain, not pulling our hand away, that that was just a a mind game. Charlie even carried it as far as to say that he didn't think we needed to eat that that was just a mind manipulation or a mind game. We didn't really need to eat. He would say something like, pain is just psychological. Pain is just in your mind. It comes from his being in this role of the teacher, of the guru, of the father, trying to help his followers to become more enlightened and liberated. Manson declares the family members must become trained soldiers, ready for combat when Helter Skelter begins. One day, Charlie passed out six-inch buck knives and gave us instruction on how to kill someone. And the purpose of this training, from my perspective anyway, was that you needed to be willing to kill 
to avoid being killed. And this was, again, this is the kind of mind games that Charlie would play. Manson instructs his followers on the most efficient knife techniques. Stab. I believe that it was like you wanted to stab somebody in their chest area and then rip up. You would hit more vital organs. It just made me feel sick. I, I, I couldn't imagine actually sticking a knife in someone and ripping up, you know, ripping up. Oh, I just can't even imagine. Now, Manson demands to know if Diane and the rest of the family are ready to kill. A cult leader like Manson can get people to kill for him because he has indoctrinated them over some period of time to do so and to believe that killing is the right thing to do because he is telling them to do it because God is telling them to do it. Therefore, it must be the, the right thing to do and the necessary thing to do. Patty put her arm around me and provided a certain amount of comfort, and she might have even said something along the lines of, you just have to be willing to do this. If someone asked you to kill, would you? Yes. And I really felt that that willing to kill was again a mind game in that we had to be willing to kill in order to avoid having to kill. Yes, yes I will kill. Like the enigmatic leader in the 2012 film The Master, Manson has manipulated his followers to commit violence. By the summer of 1969, Manson plans to take his family into hiding in Death Valley to wait out the coming apocalypse. He directs his followers to bring in money and supplies and relies on Tex Watson, an all-American boy, former football star, and devoted follower to get the job done. When Tex joined the family, he was kind of a goofy guy. He was kind of like my big brother in a lot of ways. He taught me how to drive. And he was, you know, just a, a sweet guy. At this point, Manson is trying to raise money to get his family out of L.A., into the desert. Tex takes it upon himself to, instead of buying drugs from Bernard Lots of Papa Crow, he decides to do a drug burn. He offers Crow the drugs, he gets the money, he doesn't deliver the drugs, and he thinks that's going to be okay. But an angry Bernard Crow sends someone to Spawn Ranch to demand his money back. Manson goes with Tex back to Bernard Crow's apartment to reason with him. Everything goes south and Manson winds up shooting in the chest. Even though it turns out later that Crow was not killed, Manson's really paranoid because he believes he's killed this man. He believes now the Black Panthers are going to be after them. In Manson's mind, he's just started a war. So it increases the urgency of them having to get out of Dodge. Looking for a big score, Manson pays a visit to Gary Hinman, a mild-mannered Buddhist Manson has done drug deals with in the past. Gary Hinman was a friend of the Manson family. Somehow it got back to Manson that Gary Hinman might have had cash on hand. When Manson asks for his money, Hinman insists he has none. He 
threatens Gary Hinman with some kind of saber or a knife that he has. Gary's saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I'm your friend. I don't have any money. Manson doesn't believe him. So he slices his ear. Then he tells the rest of the family members to take care of things. Manson leaves the house, but for the next three days, his followers stay behind to question Hinman until he gives up the cash. Gary Hinman is tortured. Ultimately, he is murdered by the girls putting a pillow over his head and smothering him. Diane Lake is a friend of Gary Hinman, but she's at Spawn Ranch, oblivious to the violence. The phone rang. I wasn't really supposed to answer the phone, but there wasn't anybody else around. And I answered the phone, and it was Mary. And she said, get Charlie. We need help. Something was wrong. I mean, that's what she said. Something had gone wrong. But I didn't know that he'd been killed until I was up in the desert. When police find Gary Hinman's body, they find the words political piggy scrawled on the wall in blood along with a bloody handprint reminiscent of the Black Panther logo. The murder of Gary Hinman may not have been planned, but now Gary Hinman is dead. It offers an opportunity for them to make it look like it's this helter-skelter beginning of this race war. So they write political piggy on the wall thinking that's going to cover up the crime. Manson and his followers have stopped waiting for a race war to begin and now plan to bring it on themselves. Followers of cult leader Charles Manson torture Gary Hinman to death and stage the murder scene to look like the crime was committed by Black Panthers. Back at the ranch, Manson family member Diane Lake is oblivious to the violence unfolding. Something was wrong. I mean, that's what she said. Something had gone wrong. But it, well, I didn't know that he'd been killed. Manson wants to use the murder to bring about a race war, which he calls Helter Skelter. There was no igniting of Helter Skelter after Gary Hinman's murder. So if that was their plan, it didn't work. Undeterred, Manson plans to kill again. Less than two weeks later, he sends his followers to a home on Cielo Drive. It is the home of prominent film director Roman Polanski and his wife, actress Sharon Tate. Famous for her role in Valley of the Dolls, the eight months pregnant Tate is home with guests when the Manson family invades. Over the course of 24 hours, the Manson family tortures and kills Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frykowski, Steve Parent, and the pregnant Sharon Tate. The people there that night were there in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it was bedlam, it was horrific, and it was evil. When authorities descend on the house, they find five bodies and a horrifying crime scene. This was savage killing. It was meant to make a statement. Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant. They carved an X in her. The other people were stabbed far beyond what's necessary to take a life. 
The next night, the group targets a home on nearby Waverly Drive, owned by supermarket executive Lino LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary. Manson was more involved the second night. He went with them. He went into the home. He tied up the victims, and then he left so that his followers would do the butchering. The horrific murders terrify Hollywood and shock the world. On his body, the word war had been carved in the chest. Then, with blood, the killer had scrawled on a refrigerator door the words, Death to Pig. But investigators have no idea who committed the crimes. Manson might have continued the killings, but somehow he became concerned that they were going to get caught. He moved his family out to the desert so no one could find them, so they could hide out. Here, in the desolate desert, Diane comes face to face with the truth. Tex and I had been dropped off in Atlanta, which is kind of the gateway to Death Valley, and we'd, we'd camped out here before while we waited for the rest of the family to come in the different vehicles, and then we would all go up together. Check this out. And he holds up this newspaper. It's got the Tate LaBianca murders headline, and he says, I did this. Charlie told us to. And I was shocked. It's like, what? And I hadn't, you know, we didn't have television. We didn't read newspapers. We didn't even listen to the radio. And so I hadn't heard about these murders at all. This was my first um, knowledge. And for text to show me these headlines and then tell me that he did it, that Charlie told him to. And he said it in such a way that made me feel like he was kind of bragging that he'd done this. It was horrifying. In the desert at Barker Ranch, Manson is still a free man, but Diane Lake feels trapped. I was scared to death, but yet it was like, oh my gosh, if this guy was capable of murder, what's to stop him from killing me if I try to escape? I really felt I had no option but to stay. I just was scared speechless and didn't know how to leave. And part of it was that, okay, Helter Skelter's coming down. This is really happening. So, yeah, I was very mixed up and scared. One night at dinner with some of the other girls, Diane learns more about the murderous rampage committed by the people she loves. Patty and Sadie and Leslie, they started telling me about their experience with, you know, killing these people. Leslie said that she had stabbed Rosemary LaBianca multiple times, even though she thought she was already dead. Sadie was going on about how she considered saving Sharon's baby, cutting, cutting the baby out and saving it. Patty told me that the scene at the Tate House was just blood everywhere, and she wrote some things in blood on the door, and it was just really horrendous. 
It was the tone that they used. These girls, it was almost gleeful. You know, they had definitely bought into the idea that they were starting Helter Skelter. I was horrified that these girls that I had loved, who were my sisters, could do this. I, I still was just absolutely shocked. Desperate for a way out, Diane considers ending it all. I just was despondent. And I went to the tool shed and, you know, there was a hammer there. And I thought, oh, I'll just hit myself in the head with this hammer, smash my skull, and this emotional pain will be over. I was very close to, to doing it because I just, I, I didn't know how to get out of this situation. But I feel like God stayed my hand and I didn't do it. I took the hammer back to the tool shed and laid it down. Diane and the rest of the Manson family live isolated in the desert for months, believing they've gotten away with murder. Until October 10th, when police raid the Barker Ranch. Charles Manson orders his followers to carry out eight brutal murders in a delusional attempt to incite a race war. The family, including 16-year-old Diane Lake, hides out in a remote area in California's Death Valley. We would be at Barker Ranch during the night, and then in the daytime, we would walk back into the desert about two miles and then hide out. But the Manson family fails to lay low. There had been talk that there were people living in Death Valley, maybe a cult, that there were missing cars, there were all kinds of thefts, but there was nothing to give the police a reason to truly investigate until one day Manson, in a fit of frustration and anger, set fire to a Michigan loader. Police raid Barker Ranch and arrest the members of the Manson family. Diane is caught by surprise when the police arrive. I had just finished washing my hair, wrapped it in a towel, and the door blows open and I have a gun in my face. You know, to, uh, you're, under, you're under arrest. All right, you come with me. But by the time everyone is rounded up and handcuffed, police still haven't located Charles Manson. They looked all around. They went into the bathroom and they saw the smallest cabinet and there was something that they realized was long hair sticking out of the door. Nobody knows how he crunched himself in there. Then the door pops open. Hi, I'm Charlie Manson. Manson and his followers are arrested for vandalism for burning the loader and are taken into custody. But authorities have no idea the man they've captured is a vicious killer. In police custody, Diane continues to feel trapped. All of us girls basically were in the same cell together. So it was really kind of hard. They never really took us out separately. And if they did, they would bring us back together. And so I just, I didn't feel safe. I, I really didn't feel safe. And I was still under the, the whole Charlie spell, really. Authorities have no idea their detainees are guilty of murder. 
until family member Sadie Atkins begins bragging about the killings to fellow prisoners. She's still under the whole Charlie spell. She starts talking to her roommate about Helter Skelter and Charlie and all of this. Her fellow inmates asked her, what are you in for? And she said first degree murder. She bragged about the murder of Gary Hinman and then could not stop talking. She told them all the details about the Sharon Tate murder and boasted about how she did it. Sadie's cellmate reports the claim to prison officials who tell detectives at the LAPD. At this time, the police realize that Charles Manson and his crew are guilty of much more than mischief and auto theft. In December 1969, the authorities file murder charges against Charles Manson and his family. Diane is brought to the grand jury with the other Manson girls to testify. It wasn't until just before entering the grand jury room that the, and the bailiff asks the perfunctory questions, name, age, address. When I tell him, I'm Diane Lake, I'm 16 and I want my mommy. You know, I had finally, like, realized... Oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm in trouble. You know, this this is not what my parents, it's not what I had in mind for myself at all. Diane is immediately separated from the rest of the group. I was in a cell by myself, and then they made me a ward of the court, and that's when they sent me to Patton State Hospital for a 90-day observation, which turned into nine months. At the hospital, Diane is diagnosed with LSD-induced psychosis. When she's released, she's taken in as a foster child by one of the arresting officers. When Jack Gardner took me in as a foster child, it really helped give me back my self-worth. I felt safe. I went to high school. You know, I played flute in the marching band, football games. You know, I did all, like, that was my high school experience. I became, like, a whole person. Manson is put on trial for murder in June 1970, and Diane is called to testify against him in court. Preparing for testifying against Charlie and the girls that were involved in the murders was very daunting. It was really scary. I was afraid that when I stepped into the courtroom to face Charlie, that he would get in my head again and influence what I had to say. While Diane was testifying, she was asked the question, do you love Charles Manson? She said, honestly, I guess so. Manson jumps right on that and he says, you love everybody, don't put that all on Mr. Manson, at which point the entire room bursts into laughter. He said it in such a way that really, for me, broke that serious hold that I thought he might have on me. So that was really helpful. After a seven-month trial, Charles Manson is found guilty of seven counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. When Charlie got sentenced and got the death penalty, I really felt that he did not personally kill anybody. 
but he was definitely instrumental in it getting done. I don't think without Charlie it would have gotten done. So I think it was the right decision. When California briefly outlaws the death penalty, Manson's sentence is commuted to life in prison. Over the next four decades, Manson is denied parole 12 times. He eventually dies in prison at the age of 83. Diane went on to have what we would consider a very normal life. She married, she joined a church, but only her pastor and her husband really knew about her time in the Manson family. In 2017, Diane finally breaks her silence and writes a book about her life with Charles Manson. It really made me realize that, you know what, I was a victim. And I feel like a whole person now. I mean, I don't have this hidden skeleton in the closet. What made her different, and perhaps what helped her to survive, was a very resilient personality. She didn't start off as a runaway. She was an emancipated minor, very intelligent. She didn't completely buy into everything, and she maintained her values and her personality. I always considered her a true flower child, but in a garden of weeds. The human spirit is very resilient. You just need to, I think, have faith in God and keep going. Have a positive outlook and don't get manipulated by these cons that are out there because Charlie was a con and there's lots of other cons. I Lived with a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived with a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel.